Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So if uh, Marvel made a movie about therapists helping the world, this would be it. We have um, Koda Yoda, like a little action figure, Koda Yoda. We have uh, a a trauma llama. We have um, (laughs) Miss Interdependent. And uh, Tanya, I don't know what you would be. What what what's what an attachment? Superhero name be? <laughs> we need a superhero name. <laughs> we need secure one. something secure. Anyway, <laughs> this episode is the the uh, the most people, the most guests I've ever had uh, in one episode, and um, we're gonna call it the box set. And mm-hmm. so uh, I want to do a quick intro. What is your name? And of course, you know you help people with. A, a whole a bunch of things, but just um, for today, um, what is your 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 topic? And then we'll go into it through the door of relationships. So, MC, starting with you. Hi, I'm MC. Um, I think Tani, you should be the you should be Captain Attachment. That, that could be. <laughs> mm, Captain Attachment. Um, <laughs> <I like that. laughs> um, I focus on trauma. Yes, and uh, with trauma, because it's such a big topic, what's the message? What is the uh, um, flag that you've been running with? That we how, have... do you, how do you want to disrupt, di- disrupt trauma? Yeah. yeah, I love that, the disruptor thing. Um, we have built our definition of trauma and then all of our tre- treatment um, pathways on bad science. And so my flag is trying to kind of um, bring in what we now actually know, you know, instead of what we were just hypothesizing about and redefining trauma as uh, strength. Uh, mm-hmm. The trauma response is a necessary adaptive strength response, not a sign of weakness or dysfunction. And I think when we start there, we can strip away some of the shame that gets in the way of healing. Yeah. So, uh, thinking that trauma means that we're broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why your new book is called Unbroken. Unbroken. Yes. yes. And the subtitle is the trauma response is never wrong because it isn't. Right. It's our body's barometer right. of overwhelm. Not, you need it. It's not a sign of, of weakness. It's the total opposite. Yeah. Which uh, it's, I think there's a journey in, in getting to the point of believing that. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Vanessa, what about you? Codependency and, uh, what's the flag you've been waving with coach Penzi? Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like as far as being a therapist, like what your specialty is, I know many therapists who have almost changed specialties in the seasons of their life. Right. Because it, it's really based on like what you're obsessed with at any moment. It's like um, majors in college. Sorry. Kind of, yeah. It's like, it's also pertaining to like what you're going through as an individual as well. Usually there's some kind of attract attraction or draw there too. Um, so Codependency as a broad topic is something I work with a lot of clients on, um, but but more so understanding how we relate to each other in a codependent way, trying to move through that and recover from codependent ways of relating and, and move more towards a place of interdependence, which Danae and I talk about a lot. Um, and more so recently, because I have a little one, 
a lot of it is how it relates to parenting, right? How it comes up as parents as well. Um, and the newest obsession really is, is what that looks like from a nervous system perspective. Um, and, and really just trying to dive in and understand, uh, you know, we're set up to fail as parents in this culture. Um, the current culture, the one that we live in now, uh, that's not how it's always been. And uh, so, so really just understanding it's like, it's like we're, we're birthed into a culture that's us up to fail, but also we, we adopt and adapt uh, many unhealthy coping and relational skills along the way. So we're all just out there kind of figuring it out as we go and just trying to understand that more. You say that we're all codependent, which uh, can be activating for many people. Uh, what do you mean by that? We're all codependent. It's, it's such a strong sentence. Yeah, I think it would be similar to how we talk about trauma now, where we say, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, assault or war. I mean, there's many things that count as trauma. I would say the same as codependency. It's not to minimize the, the label. It's to say, actually, we're all pretty codependent because it's how we learn to relate to each other. And in saying that, we strip away the stigma of like, oh, you're codependent. You know, there's something wrong with you and say, no, actually, this is just how we all are. And so we need to learn to work through it and resolve a lot of these unhealthy patterns. So in its simplest form, one of the ways that I describe codependency is just, um, if you're good, I'm good. If you're not good, I'm not good. So really basing our sense of emotional, um, our emotional sense of self is outside of self, right? It's, it's attached to somebody else, um, which to a certain extent is normal, but we're not, we're not really acting out of normalcy in the way that our culture kind of preps us for relationships. Before we move on to uh, Danae, I just want to say that your headphones are too big for that little face. <laughs> you, look like, you look like a little ladybug or something. We, we got to get you some new headphones. These are the Vanessa, only ones I like. Look at the size of those headphones. Listen, it's like you're from the 80s. For those who can't see me, I, I did a lot of research on headphones that don't hurt the top of your head. And I'm not the only person out there that has this problem. Those look like, like 30, earmuffs. No, like 30 minutes into a into an interview, I'm like ripping them off because they hurt my head so bad. And these are specifically designed to not touch the top of your head. And that's why they're big. And I love them. They're very comfortable. If you're listening to this and you want to see the size of Vanessa's headphones, <laughs> go to YouTube. <laughs> Go to YouTube and you can see for yourself I'm proud of how headphones. big these headphones are. <laughs> Danae, Danae is uh, going to talk about masculine and feminine energy, uh, something you've been obsessed with for a while now. And you also uh, just sold a book. So there's going to be a book about this. What's the flag you're waving? Why are you passionate about this topic? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's really endearing for you to call Vanessa a little ladybug. I just want to say that sort of made my heart a little. Oh, I don't know sweet. if that's how he meant it. But I guess it could be endearing. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I do a lot of work with couples and Vanessa and I both come from a depth psychology background. And so we studied Carl Jung's work pretty extensively. And one of the first, I feel like Carl Jung was one of the first ones to bring forward the idea that all of us contain both masculine and feminine energetics mm -hmm. within us. And you know, to me, these masculine and feminine energies are so much bigger. They really aren't gender related as much as right. we societally have been conditioned to think they are. They are about um, 
the structures of our society and whether we are moving through, when we think about masculine energy, that's us moving through the world really connected to the physical realm, to the structural, the logical, um, our mission, our productivity, and the feminine energy of the world is sort of our intuition, our connection to others, our trust, our play. And what I have found is that as a society, we've really sort of gotten out of balance. Um, so we've rejected the feminine within us on a collective level, and we've become a really sort of masculine focused society, but it's masculine energy from a war more wounded space, right? So mm. productivity has become king, dominance over others like that. And what I have found is this plays out on a collective level, but it also plays out in an individual level. And so what I've sort of become obsessed with is how we integrate healthy masculine and feminine energy within ourselves and how that can lead to just more fulfillment and happiness in our relationships. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, uh, Captain, Captain Attachment. Attachment. Yeah. Uh, tell us. <laughs> Tell us real quick, um, attachment styles for, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, what are they and why are they important when it comes to relationships? Um, yeah, attachment styles are the way that we learned how to be in relationship from the time before even we were two years old is when the foundations come in and then from an interpersonal neurobiological perspective where we've learned how to uh, relate, how close to be to other humans, especially humans who are close to us, and then how we view ourselves, how we view the world, how we view love, relationships, basically how safe we feel in ourselves, um, and how free we can be, too. And so I, I think it's important, too, and I'm just thinking how interesting it is how related all of our subjects are. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really obsessed with this because I feel like, well, I don't just feel, we're in this very domination-based culture, mm. um, you know, hierarchical, uh, very one-up, and I see attachment as a framework that is one of those barriers to intimacy that Rumi talked about, but also, or to love, but also a blueprint to knowing how to be better connected, and not just mm. between you and me, but also between me and the groups of people, right? Like from a societal perspective. And so I think if we can move towards more of a secure, connective environment, we can move away from harming each other so much. So uh, I know there's um, many attachment styles, but just um, for this, you know, the primary colors, anxiously yeah. attached, avoidantly attached, and securely yeah. attached, or what are they? Is there four? There's four, yeah. And when you're a kiddo, it's different from what it's called as an adult. So I'll just say the ones that are generally talked about. Did you say kiddo? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. Okay, <laughs> just wanted so, to make sure. So I, I don't think I've heard that. I haven't heard kiddo since like, you know, the Fonz was saying it say in Happy Days. Oh, well, okay, sorry. Attachment, which is basically the Fonz. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Um, so there's anxious, avoidant, disorganized, and secure. Mm -hmm. And briefly each. Okay, so anxious is when you're more preoccupied with connection in order to feel safe. Avoidant is when you've learned that it's unsafe to be in connection, so you've become dismissive to intimacy. Disorganized mm -hmm. is when there's been some amount of trauma or your parents really couldn't be there for you or they had their own disorganization and trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's very confusing for you and feels unsafe to be in your body and unsafe to be in relationship. And then secure is like the Goldilocks where you feel safe within yourself and you feel like you know you're going to get your needs met. You have that felt sense of safety. 
and you're willing to um, either put up with a little bit of avoidance, anxiousness, and disorganized, or you're willing to walk away when your needs aren't getting met and it's not a reciprocal relationship. And we're all trying to swim towards secure. Yeah, and nobody can be 100%, right? Because even if we look from like a nested model of attachment, we can be insecure to our environment, right? Like we're going through climate change or there is the pandemic. But if we have close connections to us that are secure, then we could be more in the secure category. Mm. I love that, uh, and it's not just you, I guess uh, you you are all doing this, uh, taking your topics, um, being able to go micro, whether we're talking about relationships or pull back, and see how uh, collectively, you know? Um, so that's really cool. It's really powerful. So, I think, uh, John, really sorry, quick, I want to say something about that. I think it's really important actually that people understand, um, you know, whether therapist or coach, I mean, it, working within the collective is actually an important part of being a therapist, at least how Danae and I came up, right? Like our, our, our school's motto was actually tending the soul. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and Jung mm-hmm. believed that you, you actually, they went hand in hand. You couldn't just treat the individual, you had to treat the collective mm-hmm. and vice versa. So I think that's really important when I've gotten a lot of pushback from people about like, you know, being socially active or like having political stances. And it's like, well, you, you can't be in this world without also fearing for or worrying about or wanting to help the collective. So I just wanted to put that out there for people to kind of take in that that's very important for us. Danae and Vanessa uh, got their master's um, in a beautiful school that overlooks the ocean by uh, Santa Barbara. Um, I got my master's at like the DeVry of therapy school in the Valley. It was very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always get jealous <laughs> when you guys get into these uh, bigger conversations and you know abstract and depth and all that. Because um, I didn't get that. Tony's anyway, okay. Depth as well, actually. Yes, just but I do cool. believe in, yes, the collective for sure, especially um, with just the stirring of uh, the world these days. Um, I can't, like, it, I, that's so strike. I did my master's at, at the new school, which is like gritty, you know, 14th Street, New York. And like, speaking of the mm-hmm. collective, I'm like, I want to talk just about that. <laughs> what is it yeah. doing psychoanalysis in New York versus mm-hmm. psychology in Santa Barbara? Like, you know, interesting, right? Right, because yeah. Well, there's the a reason why I so moved different. here to do my master's because right. this kind of program did not exist in New York. Yeah, yeah. right. Like it was impossible. I looked everywhere. I looked over the entire country, really, and there were really only two programs that were depth programs, and it was the one that I took, and then the one that Tawny, the school that Tawny went to. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I didn't want to do that school only because I was already in New York City, and I didn't want to go to SF. I was like, I need trees. But it, it, that's it, though, MC. Like, it doesn't, it's hard to find that in certain areas of the country, you know? And yeah, I think we're also sort of drawn to our people. Like, when I first met John, I remember saying to Vanessa, he's such a depth psychologist. And I don't even know if he knows, but he speaks to the psychology of the soul in the way that he talks about psychology. And so I feel like we sort of find our people regardless of what our background is in terms of where we went to school. Agreed. Even though I went to school at the uh, in the, the the porno capital of the world in the valley here, uh, <laughs> there's depth to that. All right, uh, MC, how does trauma show up in relationships? Why is it important? I'm trying so hard not to make like a dirty joke about death. Make the dirty joke. It's okay. <laughs> <Or no. laughs> Sorry. Um, 
really life is too short. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Make the joke. Get the guacamole. Go ahead. <laughs> um, how does trauma show up in relationships? So the um, the book proposal that I'm working on right now is called Triggered, and it's about um, trauma dynamics in relationship. Because I think as we as we understand, you know, Vanessa alluded to this idea before that trauma isn't just um, combat, sexual assault, plane mm -hmm. crash kind of stuff. It's, it's, there is everyday trauma and it's something that we all need to grapple with on some level, right? It's a spectrum, not like a black or white thing. And so um, when I work with couples, what most of what we're doing is kind of unraveling ways that we trigger each other um, mm -hmm. without knowing it. And it can actually implode the relationship um, unnecessarily. So a silly example that I always use is that, you know, folks always come in and, you know, I will say, okay, what's like a, using Esther Perel's language, like what's a pain point for you all right now? And it's like the dishwasher, mm. <laughs> you know? Um, and sometimes there's bigger things, of course, but like, you know, you, it strikes me sometimes by how sort of like small these things feel. It's the dishwasher, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's not the dishwasher, right? It's that, it's what's underneath the dishwasher, like the, the plumbing of the relationship, so to speak. And it's, it's what the dishwasher means. So like you don't empty the dishwasher and that pisses me off. And so we fight about the dishwasher and we stay on the surface and how dare you? And I can't believe you. And then it's, you're nagging right. me and it's just the dishwasher. And, but we're not getting to the core there, which is that when you don't empty the dishwasher, you don't regard me. What's important mm -hmm. to me isn't important mm -hmm. to you. I'm alone. And then it's like, what's happening is that the dishwasher is pushing on this really deep bruise of something from before childhood abandonment, feeling abandoned and unseen, feeling um, neglected, feeling not cared for or regarded all this stuff. And so if we can untangle all of that and change how we, how we have conflict, then we can actually have conflict that's healthy. Um, so it comes up, I think, in really subterranean ways um, that don't look like trauma. And you have to do some kind of investigatory work to figure out, like, what's really going on here, you know? Yeah, it's uh, what I call subtext, right? What, yeah. what is happening underneath. Exactly. Um, and this is the, uh, like, um, this is sometimes the catalyst for a lot of fights. Uh, if you're not aware of what's happening underneath, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a dishwasher or the socks or the coffee grinds, like it doesn't matter what it is, it's always going to uh, surface until you, you know, get to the root of what's really happening. And, and then uh, there's the work of like legitimizing that that whatever that wound is is real and valid, mm -hmm. and let's bring that you know into the light and talk about that so that you can heal it so that it doesn't keep getting enacted in your in your relationship. Yeah. So yeah, that's a huge piece. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Danae, uh, how does masculine and feminine energy show up in a relationship and why is it important? Yeah. You know, to me, the work of integrating our masculine and feminine is really that we become aware that it is our job to do some of the things that I feel like we are putting a lot of the responsibility on our partners to do, which mm -hmm. is, you know, being our masculine energy, our own fierce protector with our own sense of mission in this life and what we came here for. And then also my own sacred nurturer, my own um, source and connection to something bigger than myself. Right. And if I do those things for myself a little bit more, if I really um, tap into the work of making myself 
a little bit more whole. And that's a practice, as Tani was saying about like a secure attachment, we're never going to be in an arrival state. That's the work of our lifetime. But if I make that the practice, if I make that the practice of interdependence within myself, I'm not looking for my partner to do those things for me. And what I started to find working with couples over time is that so much of the conflict couples experience from my perspective is a little bit of what MC was just speaking to, which is we're looking for our partner to do a lot of our reparenting work for us. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't get these things in childhood. There's pain points around what I didn't get and the ego, which is the wounded masculine energy. Um, and we all need an ego and ego keeps us alive, right? We, we don't want to demonize our ego, but the ego always wants to make my partner wrong. The ego always, you know, finds offense and feels attacked versus sort of being in the space of, this is another human doing the best they can with the tools that they have. They also have their own pain points. And can I, instead of always feeling like I'm being victimized by my partner, say in the space of curiosity, what feels familiar about this? What did I not get that I'm looking to sort of bring my partner into doing for me? And it's not that our partners don't and won't and you know, certainly should support us in that work. But I find a lot of times we are almost obsessed with the fact that my partner should be my parent. And when I work to integrate my own masculine and feminine energy, I'm sort of doing some of that reparenting work um, in a tangible way for myself, if that makes sense. What does it look like, uh, just to kind of bring it to street level, what does it look like to uh, do this? What does it look like in everyday life to um, reparent yourself, to integrate masculine feminine energy yeah so you know um let's stay with the example that mc was giving with the dishwasher, the dishwasher right yeah. like so it's like um what feels historic about this right mm -hmm. like what is the sense of abandonment i'm feeling when my partner doesn't empty the dishwasher um what's the story i'm telling myself about what's happening and is it true right and so um if I sort of say everybody gets to be whoever they are, I'm a victim of nothing, then that's a little bit me taking responsibility for myself, for my own containment. That's masculine mm -hmm. energy. But then the connective part is the curiosity about my partner instead of making them wrong the feminine is reaching out with compassion attempting to be vulnerable and saying you know sometimes i tell myself the story when you don't empty the dishwasher that i don't matter to you right so it's this dance between like i contain myself i am my own sacred protector my own parent but then i also reach across you know, towards my partner with that feminine connective energy and say, when you do these things, it brings up something for me. And, and I hold them with compassion versus like, I'm the victim of you. If that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, what you know about Vanessa and I, are we both more uh, masculine and do we have more, have more masculine energy than feminine? You think? Um, I would say it's interesting because I think that we talk about like the core masculine, which is like who I am in like my most, as you would say, John, like solid self, mm -hmm. um, versus like my pseudo self who I've been conditioned to be. And so mm -hmm. like there's wounded and, um, healthy masculine and feminine energy. I actually think Vanessa is a more core feminine, but I think a lot of her life's conditioning, a lot of the things mm. that she's experienced, she's like, you know, the more like avoidant to use like Tanya's right. way of working through things. Um, whereas I think you're a more core masculine, but I think a lot of like your life and the way that you've like processed things make you like this more soulful, um, you know, playful, like, let's just like throw things out and like see what happens energetic. Yeah. And so 
it's it's interesting because some of the ways that I think that I, I watch you two pretty closely, the way you guys might move through your relationship in terms of like the tangible ways you move through life. Vanessa might be the more core masculine. You might be the more core feminine. But then in terms of like your erotic zones and your polarity, I think that you, John, are the more core masculine where Vanessa is the more core feminine. And that's what mm. turns each of you on, if that makes sense. So that's really interesting. And I love that you say this because there is, uh, when you say core, uh, I, I don't, I've never heard it in this way before where there's layers and also environment and upbringing and how that either promotes or stunts, you know, different energies. Mm -hmm. uh, and also side note, by the way, um, Danae's the person that was texting Vanessa, fuck this guy. First <laughs> and, I was, and I was being ambivalent and I, and I was in, one foot in, one foot out. Danae was like, Hey, fuck this guy. He's Wait, referencing you know the what? book. He's you know, referencing he doesn't the show book, up like he does on social media. He's full of shit. That's he me and my masculine being Vanessa's fierce protector. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Thank you. So that's a great example of how masculine energy shows up. In, that's in, in friendships. so amazing. I did not. Yeah. Know that. So, uh, I love you, John, but yes. it's, it's, it's really interesting. I agree agree with what you say because um Vanessa intimately there's a lot of feminine energy and when we first met in the book there's a section called Reiki hands and it was when she first touched me I felt something different there was a lot of feminine energy um but I think because she grew up um fast taking care of people you know corporate New York hustler it, there there's almost um uh, the, the 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 upbringing um, almost created a masculine survival this kind of mode that she has. Um, it's like the, you know, that, that a tootsie roll thing, like how many, uh, where there's a core. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then the outside shell is kind of, yeah. I don't know why I'm seeing that. And then, and then for me, you're right. I, um, I think it, it, my core is more masculine and over the years, uh, you know, and uh, just getting older, um, more feminine on, on, on the, um, on the outside. Mm. So knowing this about yourself, knowing this about your partner is, is really important. And like an equalizer, you know, I think um, whatever is honest to you, adjusting, mm -hmm. right? Yes, absolutely. It, it, it's really interesting also how these energies play in um, other relationships as well. So like friendships, you know, like you and Vanessa, um, it, it forms the dance. Yeah. And I think Vanessa talks a lot about, I don't know how you say it, V, but like the growing edge or like, you know, like when we'll talk about like, I'm a more introverted and more extroverted. And I think Vanessa pushes me a lot of times. Like, how do you say it, V, to like not sort of get stuck there? <laughs> that's like oh, um, all of our like inferior functions, right? Like Jung believe that we all have <laughs> inferior functions and superior functions. And what would be easy is just to hang out in the superior all day. But really one of the goals of our lifetime is to is to work on our inferior functions. So it's the things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah that so, word is interesting because when you say inferior, many may stamp that as weak, as, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, or strong. you could just look at it, you know, just like the language. This is why I don't use the word subconscious. I only use the word unconscious because mm -hmm. Jung believed, he did not believe in the word subconscious because sub means inferior. And he believed that the unconscious was actually more superior. Mm. And so he doesn't use the word sub. So that's, I'm very cautious of the language, but you're right. I mean, inferior function really just means it's like, it's like a muscle that's been atrophied, right? Yeah. So it's not that it's less than, it just needs to be strengthened. So if you look at that in the context of masculine and feminine energetics, something Vanessa and I talk a lot about, and I'll use you guys as an example, is that what your relationship offers her an opportunity to do is maybe expand in that 
inferior function, right, of her healthy feminine. So she, the work that I've seen her do is a lot of like her ability to soften into you and maybe mm -hmm. be a little bit more vulnerable when that might not be like her instinctual response based on what she's been conditioned to be throughout her life. Well, and I think yeah. in a in a friendship way, what I've seen too is so like with Danae and I, if we could say that Danae tends to be more in her feminine, um, more comfortable in her feminine, I tend to be more comfortable in my masculine, whether right or wrong. Um, the times I have experienced our relationship to be the most healing have been the times where I have felt safe enough to soften into my feminine with her and in our relationship. And in doing that, she has actually stepped into the more masculine energy right. and contained me. And so then that is also healing for her because if that masculine is her more inferior function, then I'm providing her that opportunity as well as myself that opportunity, right? So there's been those moments, which are very tangible moments actually in our relationship where it's been very healing because we've been able to soften into our inferior functions and be mm. safe. Can I talk about philosophy for a second? No one ever wants to talk about philosophy. <laughs> Vanessa I mean, and I, that's I, all, I was like, you're talking about it. That's all we talk about. <laughs> I mean, like, that's all young did. I love this idea that like to be healed is to be able to access both. And in the mm -hmm. allegory, uh, or not the allegory, in the um, in the dialogue with Phaedrus, which is the you know, the great dialogue about love, mm -hmm. Socrates gives this speech about the chariot and the two horses. And there's the white horse and the dark horse. And he's like, we get it wrong when we when we think we want to just banish the dark horse, which brings us down. The white horse brings us up, and the the dark horse mm -hmm. brings us down the chariot's job is to integrate so mm. that you can actually access the wild power when you have both, when you have mm. access to both. And that that's a dance that you, that's lifelong. Like you don't get to this place where you just know how to do it. And it's kind of, you know, un unfailing. It's this mm. like, it's the horses are always going in, in different directions and you're always trying to manage that. And mm. just, uh, I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Hey, Tani, how do we get to more of a, a secure attachment, whether you are avoidant or anxious or disorganized? Yeah, I'm going to stay with the same analogy that MC just brought in because I think it's really helpful. But Can you think of something on your own? No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> I'm going to circle back here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think like I like to think of it as like two reins of a horse actually right mm -hmm. like on the one hand economy on the other hand is connection but also it could be you know we're kind of talking about masculine feminine or dominance and submission and we mm -hmm. all need all of those and what if like autonomy connection dominance submission masculine feminine obviously mm -hmm. one isn't better than the other we just have different cultural understandings of it but it's just kind of checking in to see which one are we pulling on more and which one do we need to pull on less or which one do we need to pull on more um and so how that looks is if i tend to be more avoidant in relationships but i'm anxious on the inside which is literally how i am mm -hmm. then i have to verbalize what's happening inside of me in a way that's non-blaming mm -hmm. tell me how you do that tani i'll be waiting <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I really love Oren J. Sofer's work on nonviolent communication. He takes mm -hmm. the Marshall Rosenberg's work and puts it through a mindfulness frame, and it feels so damn nourishing to me. So basically, it's just like using I feel language and a lot of emotional understanding of myself, um, which is tough, especially if you lean more avoidant. 
or if you're anxious, you're just blaming, right? And projecting. But then if you're avoidant, it's like, what the hell is inside of me? Or if you're disordered, mm-hmm. like nobody mirrored this to me. Mm-hmm. This wasn't acceptable. So it's like this whole learning of what's inside of us. And then this term called mentalization of learning what's inside another person too. Just like mm-hmm. getting your guts out there. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I was just thinking people listening to this are either going to geek out because um, <laughs> therapists do speak uh, uh, abstractly, you know, um, put things into a frame or, you know, like the way that we speak um, more, more you guys than me. And, or they're going to be like, this is Chinese to me. I don't understand what the fuck these people are saying. Well, you um, know what I think it is, John, too? I think there's something, it's like car culture. Like every culture has its own like vernacular inside jokes, yes. the way that they frame things yeah. and see things. And if you're not a car geek or a sneaker geek and you're amongst, you know, sneaker geeks, you're going to be like, what are you saying? I don't give a shit. You know, some of it might pique your interest, but that's why when you get a bunch of like therapists and coaches in a room, I mean, we could geek out forever because- it's, it's like being part of a club almost. <laughs> well, it's also the art of language and conversation. There is something poetic about mm. um, how we approach, how we look at things, um, you know, the doors we go into, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all of that is really, really interesting. Vanessa, uh, codependency, why is that important in relationships and what to do to be less codependent? I mean, I think that every person here essentially is pulling on like we're all pulling threads from the same sweater right and so if we were to look at it from a framework of like codependency right and Danae actually put this into a really helpful chart that we included in our book which is if you lay it out in a very black and white way, it's like you've got codependency on one side, you've got hyper-independency on the other side or hyper-dependence, and then you've got, you know, interdependence in the, in the middle, right? So if, same thing as attachment styles. It's like if we're all kind of working towards being more independent, interdependent, but realizing that you're never going to reach this island, right? It's not an island that we will someday be like, I am interdependent. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of going to be always in flux and, mm-hmm. and moving back and forth and dancing mm-hmm. with our trauma and, and with the other person across the aisle from us who's going to trigger and activate different things in us. But if we're going to use this dishwasher analogy, right? So, so the codependent in me, the codependency in me is activated when this person, my partner does not put the dishes away and I feel anger and resentment, right? But maybe I have learned that it's not safe to potentially speak up. Um, I'm, I'm going to not rock the boat. I'm going to push it down. I'm going to just become resentful. I'm going to go ahead and just put the dishes away on my own and not say anything, right? Um, and instead, I'm going to allow that, um, I don't know, we'll say like negative energy to kind of like fester, inside of myself, right? Um, There's something about codependency that makes us believe that we are um, responsible for everything all the time. So we're not only responsible for managing our own shit, but we're responsible for managing everybody else's shit too, right? And that might look like I'm going to actually control and manipulate the situation between my partner and I. I don't want to fight, so I'm just not going to bring this up, right? A lot of us think we're doing ourselves in the relationship a favor when we act like that, but actually we're being manipulative. We're not allowing the relationship to go where it should go or where it needs to go in order to evolve, get deeper, for you to evolve and get deeper. Um, and so we live in a very like controlling state um, of all of the potential uh, emotional pitfalls that we could potentially get into, right? 
And so if I were to say, I, I want to move into a more interdependent space in this example, I would have to own my shit. I would have to, um, you know, listen, here's the story I'm telling myself, like I'm going to pull the language from everybody that's spoken. You know, the story I'm telling myself when this happens is, um, here's why it doesn't feel good. I might actually bring in, you know, what I realize is my storyline from when I'm a kid is that I have to do it all alone right? Which is my own personal, I mean, for real, my own personal storyline. I have to do it all alone. I can't rely on anybody. Um, No one's going to help me. And so when something like this happens, it activates that story in me. But here's the thing. I actually need your help, not only because I'm trying to heal this wound, but also I want you to be in partnership with me. And so I'm going to stop getting resentful of it. And instead I'm going to speak up when it bothers me, but then guess what? that person gets to put the dishes away or they get to choose to not put the dishes away. Mm -hmm. And so then that's the next step of work. The next step of work is to say they are their own autonomous being. They get to do what they're going to do or not. Mm -hmm. And then I get to decide how to respond in kind. But if I don't ever allow that conversation to happen, I'm essentially deciding it for them. I'm not allowing them to show up and say, here's what I'm willing to do or not willing to do. I've already made the decision. Mm -hmm. That felt very convoluted, but um, oh, so clear. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I also think like, this is a, one of the things that I find the hardest to talk about. I had a chapter in the book that I, that I just finished that I had to take out and now I'm trying to do it again for the next book. We sometimes weaponize trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we think we've done all the healing work because I can identify that it's my abandonment wound. I can identify that it's about me being alone, but I, I'm not like, this is just super clarifying for me that I'm not actually doing the work of, of healing the codependent piece. And so I'm, st- I'm now weaponizing and saying, I have trauma. So you have to take the dishes right. out of the dishwasher. And right. if you don't, then you're re-traumatizing me. And that's so. Like, that's putting yourself in the victim state, right? right? And, yeah. and people get to do whatever they want to do and you can't control that. What you do get to control is what you decide to do or show up or how you decide to act based on the information they're giving you, right? Um, And sometimes, unfortunately, that might look like saying, you know, ditches seem silly, but it's like, maybe that's a theme, right? Of this person, maybe not not supporting you or doing their 50% in the household or whatever. You get to decide and, you know, I don't wanna actually be part of this partnership. And that's really hard for some people to hear, but if, that's your choice to make. You get to have that power. Um, but that power only comes from stepping out of the victim state, mm-hmm. right? Like nothing is happening to you. Um, you're, you're a willing participant in this as much as they are. I want to um, stop here because uh, people in this room have uh, clients and private practices and they have sessions you have to get to. But uh, this first episode, because we didn't even get to questions. I've got a shit ton of questions from, you know, um, Instagram that I want so maybe this could be more of um, us pulling the slingshot back and then um, we'll release it and then you know uh, let it fly and do maybe a series um, with everyone here um, but this one would be called it's not about the dishes and it's the box set <laughs> series and right. I had this thought you know because Tanya I know that you also want to write a book or maybe you are already writing a book but uh, speaking of the box set if we could convince our publishers that all of our books are sold uh, oh, at yeah. least as an option together as like a box set, <laughs> a box you know set. what I'm saying? Like wrap, yeah. wouldn't that be amazing? Would and be so, be- you know, instead of uh, 20 bucks each, you buy all five as a box set and it's cheaper, but then you get trauma, mm-hmm. attachment, codependency, you know, whatever, all these top- different topics and different voices. 
Um, anyway, just an idea. I love it. I love it. More ideas than I can execute. Everyone, thank you for listening. Be well, and uh, we will be back conversation and also answer. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training. And it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.